Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and you're listening to Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every week in my New York City apartment. And I want to give a shout out to Upside. The smart new way to buy business travel is Upside.com. You save money and get a free Amazon gift card every trip you buy. Use the code Forbes and you're guaranteed at least a $100 gift card your first time using Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card. Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. And today is just a little different because I'm in my apartment at the kitchen table, but my guest, Liz Dolan, well, she's in California, but I do have a picture of her across from me on the table where she would be. Seriously, I'm not making this up. I really do have a picture of you, Liz. (laughs) I love that, Denise. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) So I can look at you as I'm talking to you. If the picture starts talking back, I have a problem. (laughs) If you would like me to move to my kitchen table, I could do that. But I'm actually just at a desk. <laughs> and I'll have to send you a picture of me. Liz is the host of the new podcast. I love this title. I hate my boss. She is known as one of the most creative marketers in the world. She was a CMO at global brands like Nike, Own, the Oprah Winfrey Network, and National Geographic channels. And while she had those big J-O-Bs, she had a side hustle, an award-winning media brand called Satellite Sisters. Five Real Sisters, Liz is one of them. They host podcasts, write books, and believe that the sense of connection is the most important sense we all share. Liz has taken a very public stand on gender bias in the workplace. It happened after she was left out of a board meeting during her time with Quicksilver. And that leads to her personal hashtag that I just love, stay noisy. So we have so much to talk about at Liz, and I'm going to kick it off with my mentoring moment for today. I've talked about my mom in the past. I talk about her a lot, and I've talked about her red shoes and how we should all have a pair of red shoes, meaning something that helps us get that, like, that different kick in our step that makes us feel more alive. And today's mentoring moment isn't about the red shoes. It's about pink. And what I learned the night my mom wore a bright pink dress. And that night was a few weeks ago at my mom's 90th birthday party. She, she just looked so alive in her new bright pink dress. And it was that night that I discovered something that's so important, that things aren't always what they appear to be. 
So like 60 people came to her party and she was the oldest person there. Most of the people were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, women and men who live in her apartment building. And she lives in this really small town outside of Pittsburgh. So, and it's not an assisted living building. I love this because my mom says that assisted living buildings are for old people and She's not old. <laughs> just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever makes you happy, you think whatever you want. So I kept thinking, you know, how sweet that these people, 60 people, have come together to celebrate her. And I said to this guy, John, who's in his 60s, I said, you know, I really want to thank you for coming and celebrating my mom's birthday party and for being her friend. And then here's what he said to me. He said, I love your mother like my own mother. I would do anything for your mom and she would do anything for me. He said, everybody in this room, Denise, we all would do anything for your mother and she would do anything for us. And I'm going to go back a step on my mom and living in this apartment building. My dad died 15 years ago. And about 10 years ago, my mom moved from the home that we grew up into this apartment building. And she didn't have any friends there. She may have known one or two people, but she had her lifelong friends that she hung out with. But over the past 10 years, her friends have passed away or they're ill or they've moved. And so she really doesn't have any friends. And her, my brother lives like an hour away. There's no family living nearby her. So what she did was, and she doesn't drive anymore. So she thought she's a real people person. And she thought, I need friends. I want friends. So she started congregating in the lobby of her building and she would invite people to come and people would sit around and talk. And that's all it is. They just sit around and talk. They're not playing bridge or not doing anything. And they're laughing. They're always laughing in the lobby. So John, the day three years ago, he moved into the apartment building. And the day that he went to go look at the apartment. My mom was in the lobby with her friends. And he said, I walked in, I saw your mom and I thought, I want to live here. And I'm, I had this, I'm sure I had this puzzled look on my face because I'm thinking, okay, you don't even, my mom didn't know you. You didn't know my mom. He said, I looked at her and her friends and I thought, this is a family. I don't have a family. I don't have a family nearby. And I want to be a part of this family. And what it really pointed out to me was she created a community. Like she created a family, a sense of connection. And isn't that what we all want in life, that sense of connection, that community? So my mentoring moment is a tribute to my mom, Annie, as I get teary-eyed here, because she's really living a life filled with red shoes and pink dresses. She's 90 years old. She's helping herself and she's helping others. And she's creating a community, a different kind of family. And I want us all to think about that, whether our families are close to us or far away, that we all need different families, different kinds of families. So that is my mentoring moment. That is so beautiful, Denise. It, it, it's, I'm getting teary-eyed teary on this end, too. It makes me think so much about 
my mother, who I just lost a few years ago. But there was, their mothers are so great, aren't they? There was a moment uh, when I was trying to convince my mother that she should move into assisted living. My father had very advanced Alzheimer's, and I just thought they would both be better off in a place that was more of a community, especially my mom, because she would have people to talk to. And she was like, no, Elizabeth, I am not going to do that. I'm like, why? Don't you think it would be more fun for you? And she just said, I refuse to eat anyone else's food. That's it. No way. (laughs) Like my mom has said, there's really, that's interesting. My mom is like, I can still cook. I know. I, there is something about that, that they've been putting meals on the table for so many years. The idea that they would just like no longer have that responsibility. uh, It was just like, that's a complete non-starter for my mother. So, uh, but she did become like the woman in her own apartment building that everybody got to know just because she was super chatty. That's very sweet. Well, happy birthday, Annie, from me. I haven't met you yet, but I feel like through Denise, I now have met you. Right. And it's, you know, it was great to see. And it was that moment of saying the things we think, like I thought, how sweet they're turning up for my mom. But it was the opposite. I mean, they were turning yeah. up for my mom, but it was like they were turning up because my mom created a family for them. Right. And I never even thought about that. It was like, well, that's really sweet. They're doing this because she's 90. Yeah, like they feel, like they feel what, sorry for her. Or yeah, something. like this no. is, you know, we'll go to the party. Or, you know, it's like, and it made me realize that we just all are in search of those communities. And you're, I mean, you're all about connected, being connected and connection. Completely. You know, the, uh, for 10 years, I've been doing a podcast called Satellite Sisters and we were a radio show before that. And our whole thing is about the sense of connection that we want people to stay connected, be connected. If, if it's not your original family, that's fine, but you need those satellite sisters or satellite misters in your life. And now with my new podcast, which is called, I hate my boss, the title is kind of a joke because the last thing in the world I want is for people to hate their boss. I have found some of my best friends at work and some of my strongest communities at work. I've worked for people and with people who I've really, really loved. And even after I've left that job, have carried those people forward in my life. So whether it's your personal life or your work life, having that strong sense of connection to other people, I think that's actually what gives our our lives meaning. It's, I'm not sure that there's anything else more important than that. So before we continue the conversation with Liz, let me tell you about Upside.com. It's a great way to buy business travel. And here's what's so great about it. At Upside, you save money on travel and you get a free Amazon gift card worth hundreds of dollars every time. You get savings and a big gift card free. Here's how they do it. Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. And bundling saves a ton of money, especially on business travel. So they give you an Amazon gift card. Your company saves money and you still keep all your miles. And right now when you use the code Forbes, you're guaranteed a free $100 Amazon gift card your first time. The code Forbes gets you a guaranteed $100 Amazon gift card. So like how can you not do this? Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every time. Upside.com. That's Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. You're listening to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. Okay, picking up where we left off with Liz Dolan. Now I want to hear your mentoring moment. All right. So my mentoring moment, I decided for you, Denise, to talk about something that was just one of the hardest 
most unsettling things that I have had to do in my career. And it just happened a couple of years ago. So one of the first lessons here is you think you're through the hard stuff and then stuff happens to you. You're like, wait a minute, I am still working on this. This is not right. So, so here was the moment. The, this was two years ago. I was serving on the board of directors of a publicly traded company, which I was super proud to do because you know there are relatively few women on big boards of publicly traded companies. So the fact that I was invited to do this and was serving on the board, I felt like, okay, this is kind of the next phase in my career when I'd leave my corporate life of like being a day-to-day executive, it would be great to be able to serve on a couple of boards. So I was on this board and uh, I had been on the board for 18 months and then they decided that they needed to get rid of the CEO. Uh, And the number one job of a director is to hire and fire the CEO. So that happens. But they did this in secret without telling me. I was the only woman on the board, and I had been a former colleague at Nike of the current CEO. This, the company was Quicksilver. So the CEO at Quicksilver had been a colleague of mine when we were at Nike. I had never worked for him, and he had never worked for me. But anyway, that's one of the reasons I was on the board. But they just decided enough with this guy. They were going to get rid of him. But they didn't want me to know, which is, that's what I mean about, wait, what? <laughs> what? You, you can't keep a secret from other directors. And when I, I know, no. And when I had been interviewing to be on the board, you know, everybody on boards knows each other. The fact that I was a former colleague of his, really, it's fairly common on boards that people have worked together. That's why they're asking you to be on the board. So everyone said, you know, if the if the chips were down, could you really make the call to, you know, uh, replace this guy? And I was like, Yes, business. I'm a business person. I understand. Sometimes you have to make these tough calls. Anyway, so they ended up having a series of secret meetings over 10 days that I was not included in. And then all of a sudden I got an email. I was on a plane flying back to L.A. And I got an email with some documents that said, we're having a board meeting right now. Can you dial in? I'm like, no, I'm on an airplane. And they said, "Okay, well, call us when you land. I open the documents and I see what it is. It's basically a uh, termination agreement, severance agreement with the CEO. I'm just dumbfounded that this could be happening without my knowledge. I land. They told me to call this particular director. I called him and he, like in the most, I don't know, in in the most insulting way possible, I guess. I'll admit, I had a very emotional reaction to this. He explained to me like, oh, don't worry, Liz, we took care of it. Everything, his phrase was done and dusted. Don't worry. Here's the deal. We needed to do this. And I was just outraged. I was actually standing in a parking garage at LAX, Denise. I can't even imagine. And I was just outraged talking to this guy. And and also, you know how it gets sometimes, and also trying not to cry. Because you, you feel so shocked that, like, you're kidding me. After all these years... I'm one of the leading global marketers in the world, which is why I'm on your freaking board to begin with. And you decide you're going to have secret meetings. And I, and I was like, 
I don't understand how all of this could be going on without me. Why didn't I get a call? And he, again, in his most obsequious tone, explained to me that, well, it was very important that it remain a secret. And I thought the top of my head was going to blow off because that's everything you've heard your whole career in pockets. Like, oh, yeah, we can't tell the girl. We can't tell the girl because girls can't keep a secret and girls get really emotional and she's going to run to him and she's going to tell him and then we won't be able to fire him. And it was like I felt like I was, I don't know, 14 again. (laughs) Just it was. uh, So whatever. So they've already done this. It's It's already announced. And for the next couple of weeks, I sort of painstakingly talked to a number of the other directors because I'm still so shocked and horrified that this went on. I just don't even know what to do with myself, you know, like because I had to make a big decision there. Like, am I going to stand for this or am I going to, you know, resign from the board? And if I resign from the board, am I going to go quietly or am I going to stage what they call in the business a noisy resignation? Uh, and so for the next, really, it went on for two months. I called a lot of women I know that serve on boards. I gave them the scenario. I'm like, I don't even know what to do here. What should I do? And half the women I talked to said, do not resign. It will just prove to them that what they feared about you was true and that they couldn't trust you and that you couldn't take it and do not do that. And the other half of the women I talked to said, are you kidding me? These people have shown you such a lack of respect. Why would you want to work with them? Why would you spend any of your precious time working with them? So, and it was, I was tossing and turning at night. I don't know why this got to me so much, but it really, really got to me. I think partly because I felt like I had gotten to the point in my career where I didn't have to prove anything anymore, but I did. That's, that was one of the big lessons. So anyway, so after about two months, I just realized the real aha moment for me, Denise, was I kept asking myself the question, well, how can I earn their trust? Clearly, they didn't trust me. What would it take for me to earn their trust? And then they had this, I had this light bulb moment where I'm like, wait a minute. They're the ones that need to earn my trust. <laughs> they're the exactly. ones. Exactly. I'm going to clap right now. They're the ones that just treated me in like an unbelievably unprofessional way. Why am I being such a girl and thinking, oh, how do I win them over? Oh, And that's when I decided that I did not want to spend any of my precious time. You know, being on a board of directors is incredible. It's hard and it's time consuming. And there are all kinds of new regulations about what you need to know and be good at. Yeah, this is not a phone it in kind of thing anymore. Uh, and I just decided that I had to ask myself the question, could they earn back my trust? And I decided the answer was no, no. They had not really made any serious effort to understand my position. And they made all of these assumptions. It's sort of gender bias in its most obvious kind of form. They made all of this, you can call them unconscious assumptions, but they're just assumptions, whether they're conscious or unconscious, that I couldn't keep a secret, that I was going to be too emotional, that because he was a friend of mine, I wouldn't be able to... So there was no way 
that I was ever going to be able to change that in their mind. So not only did I resign for the board, but I, I went for the noisy resignation, Denise. <laughs> I just decided, you. I decided that part of our problem as women is that we go quietly, that people, people assume that, you know, okay, well, we'll just, um, we'll just go away. Our feelings are hurt, but we'll just go away and sit in a corner and we will lick our wounds. And I just decided I wasn't going to do that. So not only did I resign, but, you know, I've tried to given an opportunity like this to tell the story because I want women to understand it's never over. This idea that, okay, you've earned your slot at the big boys table. The real lesson for me here is you can be at the table, but they can still put you in a soundproof booth somehow. I, I didn't I didn't think that was possible, but they did it. So that was a real revelation for me, even in my mid-50s, the fact that that could still happen to me as a professional with men that I considered to be my peers was a real shocker, and it was a turning point. This week on All of the Above with Norman Lear, Veep star Julia Louis-Dreyfus sits down with Norman and Paul. Well, you know, there wasn't a script when I was first talking to HBO about it. There wasn't a concept. And my my agent had said to me, listen, they're developing this thing at HBO about an unhappy vice president, an unhappy female vice president. And I thought to myself, well, I got to get in on this action because Mm -hmm. it's gold and it's so amazing that nobody's done it before. Listen today on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on PodcastOne.com. Continuing the conversation on Mentoring Moments, where we're brought to you by WordPress.com. More websites run on WordPress than on any other platform. Create your blog or small business website today and get 15% off any new plan purchase at WordPress.com slash Forbes. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes. And now back to our conversation with Liz Dolan. The whole story is, it's believable, I believe you, but it's unbelievable that Especially yeah. when you're on a board. It's not like you met on the street somewhere. You're vetted. <laughs> I know. You, you, there's a huge process right. that goes on to be on the board. Yeah. And then to just dis you is You interview for the job and then the shareholders have to vote for you. It's not some random appointment. I know. You know, the thing that was interesting to me is when I called the number of the directors, particularly the ones that I thought I had a good relationship with, when I said, I don't understand why nobody thought to call me. I, I just don't understand. And one guy who I really like said, now that you put it that way, I don't understand either. We just, we just made the assumption that you wouldn't want to know about it. That, that makes it, would it be- almost worse. I know. I know. <laughs> this is what I mean about like gender bias and whether it's conscious or unconscious. It was an active decision like in the first of those many calls, like, okay, we'll just do this without Liz. And everyone agreed just in an instant, everyone agreed that that was the right thing to do. And then they never thought about it again for the rest of the 10 days. Nobody ever in the process said, well, you know, we're pretty far along here. If we're firing the CEO, there's only one director who has not been brought into this discussion at all. And you know, the crazy thing, Denise, clearly if I had even been against the decision, they would have all outvoted me. It wouldn't have mattered at all. Exactly. There's no way I could derail it, which I wouldn't have, by the way, but there's no way I could derail it except for this thing of keeping it a secret. Anyway, it was a heartbreaker for me. 
I, I don't, as I say, I don't know why I took it so hard. It just came as a shock at a stage of my career where I didn't think I really had to be watching out for that kind of stuff. Cause you know, all through our careers, things happen to us where we know there's some kind of gender filter being applied and you just have to, a lot of that stuff, you have to let it roll off your back because if you complained every time, you, <laughs> it would just be unlivable, right? So you learn like, where are your limits? Where are your boundaries? When are you going to raise your hand and say, I will not stand for that? And when are you just going to, oh, whatever. Okay, just that guy in the corner, blah, blah, blah. I'm not gonna. And uh, this was one of those that was just, it was impossible for me to put it out of my mind without being able to say something in this moment about what it means to, to women who have earned this position. And, and I think it's really interesting that one of your first reactions, which would have been mine as well, is you put the responsibility on yourself. How can I get them to trust me? I know. I know. What is the matter with us? I, I know. I ask that question a lot. <laughs> it's like, why, why do we go there? Why, why isn't it where you've got to and saying, can we get to the point where I trust them again? Yeah versus what do I do? You know, how can I be the better girl? What did I do that was wrong? I know the people pleasing thing, I guess is what that is. Uh, You want to do a good job. You want to be trustworthy. And so you just assume that somehow there was something you didn't do that would have made a difference. But, you know, I think in this case, the only thing I could have done was to be a boy. (laughs) because because i would say that that's complicated yeah yeah that's it's too late for that but then i did the sort of thought experiment myself with well if i was me former colleague of the former ceos and i was a man like say i say i was a man but we had worked together in the past would they have had the same kind of reaction about they couldn't tell me because i couldn't keep it secret and i believe they would not have the same reaction that that if I had been a man, they never would have assumed that I would run and go tell him, oh, the board doesn't like you. The board is getting ready to fire you. I just I don't I don't buy that, that that would have been uh, that I would have been treated in the same way. Of course, we'll never know. But right. Um, well, it's just odd that you were the only woman and you were the one that wasn't told. So you can I kind know. of connect those dots. You can connect that, those dots. Right. And, you know, and uh, the men on the board that I talked to, of course, they were just shocked, shocked that this was my interpretation of the facts, that there was any kind of gender bias at work here. And I'm sure like the normal guys that we grew up with, they're nice guys. Like uh, I've worked shoulder to shoulder with men my whole career, obviously. You know, I ran marketing at Nike and places like that. So the, uh, you know, it's not like I'm even accusing them of really being bad people. I just think it's sort of a human failing here that they made assumptions about me based on my gender and I have the right to point that out to them. And so what do we do moving forward? Because, you know, what is, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so how do, how does this not happen? But I don't know if I have an answer to that. No, me neither. I wish I, because here was, here was why it took me two months to make this decision, Denise. The, the women that were 50% of the camp that I talked to said, if you give up that seat and uh, make a big point of this, it's going to be even harder 
for a woman to get on that seat. You know, they're going to just replace you with some guy who's easier to control, who's in the boys club. So, and I totally understand that position, like the working from the inside versus working from the outside thing. So I think that there are roles for both of those. I thought, I mean, not to give myself too much credit, but I, I was thinking a lot about like the Supreme Court at that, at that point. Right. <laughs> it is so much easier for those justices to have three female justices on the court than there is for just one, because the I believe if there had been another woman on the board who was like involved in these conversations or who realized something was good, they, you know, either another woman would have raised her hand and said, why are we leaving Liz out? And then they would have had to rationalize leaving me out of the conversation or it would have been harder for them to leave two women out of the conversation or if there were three of us, you know, uh, so I think we need a big lesson for me is we need volume (laughs) representation. It's not like the one seat is not enough until you get to some kind of critical mass. We can't even support each other in that environment. Uh, so the two or three, which is what makes it even harder to resign from the seat because, you, your part of you is saying, just stay here and fight it out. Like, this is your job. This is what you have chosen to do. Uh, and there's a perfectly good rationale for that. And plenty of women I know have taken that position. And they're, they're inside trying to fight the good fight. Do you ever get tired of fighting? Oh, my God. Don't you? Yes. Yes. And we do it, right? But it, it makes you weary. It's exhausting. Yeah. And well, think yeah. about the better things we could use our energy on. I know. I know. Versus fighting I, the same fight. I mean, I'm 63, so I came up through those years of those fights. Yeah. And it's just like, and now I feel like we've gone backwards in so many ways. But, you know, it's kind of like, can we just put our energy to really productive things? Why do we have to keep fighting this battle? I know. And it's not always a fight, but it's always like I have found a lot of points in my career as a senior executive, you know, you're one of the few women in the room for some of these big discussions. So you have to represent your point of view as a senior executive, but then another part of your brain has to make sure you're representing the women's point of view because no one else is speaking up for that. Like I remember a conversation where the company was putting in a major childcare center and really making a big commitment to childcare at the company, which was a great thing. So the senior executives were having a conversation about how all of that would work, but especially like how should the the fees work if you make more? Should you pay more? Like all of that stuff that that companies have to figure out. But I could sense that everyone in the room was holding back a little bit. And they kept looking at me like I was supposed to have the official point of view about how to run the child care center. And because I was the only woman in the room. And finally, I looked around and I just said, guys, I don't even have kids. So I don't know why you keep looking at me. I'm happy to be be helpful here. I don't even have kids. I feel like all of the parents in the room should be speaking up about this. I, I, I cannot represent all women in the world all the, t- all the time. And, you know, so I, do, I tried to make people laugh and people did, but it's like there was this tension in the room that I had to speak for an entire uh, gender on an issue that like I fully supported, obviously, but did not have a developed point of view about the kinds of things that they are trying to decide. So it's, I think that's the stuff that gets, that you have to always be asking yourself is, 
you know, is a strong point of view being voiced here that represents the women in this company. So you have that job on top of your normal job of being you. And that's why we're exhausted. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. But we will continue on. And that's what we do, right? But if, if, if others would just do their part, so we wouldn't have to be so exhausted, as in if men would do their part, right, then life could just be a lot easier. There's just so much to change. Before we keep going with Liz, let's talk about WordPress. Small businesses are the heart of our communities. They're the places that we just don't want to live without. For me, that means the female-owned coffee shop that I go to after my Pilates class, another small business that I definitely can't live without. So if you're looking to create a website for your business or a personal blog, you'll make a big impact when you build your site on WordPress.com. Even if you don't have any experience building a website, WordPress.com can guide you through the process. They have hundreds of customized themes to get you started. You'll get built-in social sharing. And if you're on WordPress.com, you immediately have a leg up on everyone else when it comes to search engine optimization. And I love this. On WordPress.com, you are a part of a community with support 24-7 when you need it. So come see why nearly 30% of all websites run on WordPress. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to WordPress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes for 15% off your brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. This is Mentoring Moments with Denise Rostari. Continuing our conversation on Mentoring Moments, where we're brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree, rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. And now back to our conversation with Liz. I'm very fortunate, as you are, that we're part of these communities and networks of people who do want to make change. So we don't feel alone, but you do feel lonely sometimes if that yeah. makes sense. It's like, we're not alone, but there's a big battles to go on that we're fighting. Yeah. It's part of what I try to say to millennial women when I talk to them. It's, you know, there, I think sometimes there are assumptions that the battles have been won. We can just all move on with our lives. And, um, you know, I'm sorry to bum you out, but it's, it's just not true. Yes, we've made a huge amount of progress just in the course of my career. I remember when I was in, you know, college looking, I grew up right outside of New York City, looking at the one ads in the New York paper and it was still job men, job, women, you know, like the one ads were segregated by gender in my lifetime. And oh, really? I, told, I don't remember that. When was yes. that? Yeah. So that was, I, that would have been the seventies. Right. Wow. Yeah. I don't remember that. And the, uh, and I tell this to women like who work for me now and they're like, you're kidding. How was that legal? I'm like, well, it was all legal. Okay. It was all legal. There was just an assumption that certain jobs were for men and certain jobs were for women. I've told the story about my boss throwing a stapler at my head when I was in my 20s. And not that anyone deserves to have anybody throw anything, but I truly did. It was a huge misunderstanding. He thought I told on him that he was dating the owner's girlfriend. It's a long story. (laughs) That sounds like a a good one, though. It is a long one. (laughs) Anyway, so he threw a stapler at my head. And when I tell people that, millennials will be like, well, why didn't you report him to HR? And I'm like... (laughs) We didn't have an HR. Yeah. Because <laughs> they look at me like, you know, why did you walk away? There was no one to report it to. What was I going to do? Go to the police? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was accepted behavior. Work. Right. It, it was kind of like you you quit. You either quit or you stayed. Yeah. There was that. There was so we have come far in many ways. Yeah. But not in, in so many ways. It's just frightening that we are still that you're in, you were in that position, that other women are in different positions, that even if it's not that outright, it's that underlying yeah. gender bias that goes on, right? It's they, it might not be that someone is my, the, the sexual abuse or the abusive statements, but it's this stuff, the underlying stuff, or we just won't tell her. Yeah, exactly. You don't know what you're not being told and you don't know what you're not being included in. In this case, they had to tell me because, of course, it was a big legal thing <laughs> and it was going to be in the Wall Street Journal in the morning. So the they were forced to tell me. But, you know, in another situation, if it was just an executive discussion, they might have just not bothered to mention it to me at all. Did your gut tell you anything along the way? Did you ever have a gut feeling of anything? Not that I'm not putting the blame on you. I, I just think sometimes our guts tell us something. Well, you know, it was this thing of like trying to figure out like, why would they do this to me? I don't understand. It's me, <laughs> you know? Right. So I'm not sure that that's a gut feel, but I think that's where my confusion came from. Like why on earth would they think they couldn't tell me something so significant about how we run the business together. I am a business person. That is why I'm here. I like, so it was, that's the thing that just nagged and nagged and nagged at me the whole time. Even as I was trying to have rational discussions, like this doesn't happen to me. I already climbed this ladder. I made it. This is how I got a seat on a board. You know, so that was uh, such a light bulb moment because if it's happening to me, it's happening to everyone. And the good news is I have the power to just walk away if I want to. Right. I have I have the ability to do that. I don't need them. I don't you know, it's not like let's just say other boards of directors haven't exactly been knocking down my door for a seat. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) But but I kind of knew that as I made that call. I'm like, Okay, Liz, you understand if you do this, then that whole secondary path of your career, that once you leave corporate life, you're going to be serve on a number of boards of publicly traded companies, you might be closing that door. Well, and I really applaud you, Liz, for doing that because it's not an easy decision to make because there are consequences that, from it. Yeah. And it would have been easier in some ways to just be quiet yes. and just say, okay, I'm going to fight from within. Yeah. And so what you, but to bring it out, and that's one of the things I think when we talk, when we're just saying, you know, what do we do with this is that we do have to share these stories so that we all understand. And when we're in that situation, we don't feel so alone or it's so personal it's, we're able to know that others have gone through it and then take their learnings and how do we keep moving it forward. But as I said earlier, I don't know what the solution is sometimes. It's like, how do you, you know, if you look at your specific situation, you couldn't have done anything differently. So no. it goes back to others have to change around us. You know, the whole corporate structures have to change. The feelings about women have to change. Gender bias has to change. That it's not you that has to change. But you yeah. can make the stories, you, you can make them public so that maybe that will help others change. 
Well, that's when I coined my, I now have a personal hashtag, Denise, that when I was telling my sister Leah in this whole story and I was, you know, thinking about what I should do, she, she's like, Liz, you just have to stay noisy. That's who you are. Just stay noisy. So whenever I'm commenting on anything like this that I see in the business world or in the sports world or anything, I sign it hashtag stay noisy. Just because great. for all of you who have a story to tell, just tell it as much of it as you can, as often as you can. It's not easy, I know, but we, if we collectively stay noisy, then people won't be able to pretend it's not happening. Yes, I'm with you 100%. And now we're going to go to I'm done with that. So I'll kick it off. Okay. So I'm done with saying that I'm going to take cooking lessons. <laughs> I'm done with saying it because I'm actually going to do it because I've been saying for two years now, I'm going to take cooking lessons. And I get so busy that I don't do it. And I love doing things with my hands. But what I've been doing with my hands is like sitting at the computer or on my phone Mm -hmm. and clicking away. So I'm actually going to go take those cooking lessons because I want to, I think there's a real connection between mentoring and cooking. And I think we're missing that in our lives these days that when I was growing up, mentoring just kind of happened in the kitchen with my mom. And I think we're missing that, but I'm also missing, I cook a lot, but it's quick cooking, right? I'm missing like getting into what, how do flavors blend? And if you don't have sugar, can you use Coca-Cola in the recipe? You know, what, what Mm -hmm. are this, what is, what are all the elements in this? So that's what I'm done with. I'm done with procrastinating is the overarching message here and saying, I'm going to do it. I'm actually going today and going to sign up for cooking classes. That sounds so much fun. Congratulations. Like Thank you. Do you like to cook? I, I, I do like it, but I'm not an adventurous cook at all. I'm not. I make the same things over and over again, like everyone else in the world, I guess. People right. say Thanks that they things. have 10 items or six items. For me, it's like three. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Jody Adams, who is a chef from Boston, was on the show. And I was saying that I make the same six things all the time. And she was like, okay, you need to get in the kitchen and just get messy. Yeah. And I love that thought of just get messy. There you go. Hashtag get messy. messy, As as you're telling us about your cooking lessons, you can, uh, you can use that. And she gave me permission to get messy. And we did a Facebook live and we were making penne alla norma with toasted breadcrumbs. And she was, we were talking and she was making the, she was cooking the eggplant as the eggplant was burning. And I'm looking in the pot and I'm like, so what happens when you, when you're like making dinner and you're burning your food? And she's like, you mean like now, like how I'm burning the eggplant? I'm like, kind of. She's like, you just brush it off. It's okay. It's okay. I like it. Right. If it's good for her, good enough for me. Before we continue with mentoring moments, let me tell you about Braintree. Having an up-to-date payment system is one of those things like a rattle in your engine that you might let slide to the bottom of the to-do list. Everything's working now, so you'll get to it when you get to it. But that's not necessarily a practical strategy. Leave it too long and you could be stranded on the side of a highway. And when we're talking about getting paid, you don't want to get stranded. It might not be a bad time to check in with Braintree and keep your business humming. Braintree, rethink payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. Now back to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. So what are you done with? All right. I am so done with false urgency. And this extends to a lot of things in my life and to business in general. I think partly it's the idea that we all have to be electronically tethered to the whole rest of the universe all the time. 
I am so done with that, Denise. I am trying to train myself to occasionally get this radical idea: leave the house without my phone. Uh, you Don't know, you feel that... lost though? No, I, I mean oh, that's right. At first, did you? Did you feel like? Yeah, oh, yeah, where yeah. Where am I? Yeah, it's not like I'm going far, but it's like if I'm going for a walk, why am I bringing my phone? Why? Like I just—it's because you stop at a stoplight and you—you know—you look at Twitter. That is wrong. It is wrong. So the false urgency too of feeling like every time somebody emails you or texts you, you need to respond immediately. Well, that is not true. If I was, say, an emergency room doctor, that would be true, but I am not. There is nothing anyone is emailing me about or texting me about that can't wait an hour or a day. And I think we've all been trained to feel like everything requires this instant response. And it means we're not giving ourselves time to think about things or just enjoy not thinking about work, all of that. Uh, I know this is a lot of what Ariana Huffington has written about in Thrive, too. They, I no longer put my phone in my bedroom at night to recharge. It's, like, far away, so I don't hear it. I don't, you know, I'm not responding. I have disabled all of the dings, all of the notifications, all of the... I just feel like this constant interruption in our lives and this false sense of urgency that because somebody asks you something, you need to immediately get back to them. It has sort of crept into our personal life as much as in our professional life, and it's not healthy. And I've had a lot of conversations with people I work with. I just recently last year left a job. I was the chief marketing officer for Fox International Channel. So that was all the cable networks outside of the United States, mainly uh, National Geographic channels and Fox Sports channels. And so we were a big international organization. So Everyone's on a 24-7 clock. You have people that are 12 hours ahead of you. So there, there's a reason to constantly like have your phone with you or be checking because you don't really know what's going on in other parts of the world and people might need you to respond to something. And you're in the television business, which is a 24-7 business. But that doesn't mean that has to be the model for the rest of your life. But even at work, I would often mentor some of the younger people that worked for me. They would get into these email wars with people, uh, constantly responding to things and sort of fighting over email about like what the right response was. And I would say, put down the phone, <laughs> step away, give it an hour and then call them because what you're doing over email now is not going to get to a solution. But I suspect if you two talk to each other on the phone, you would understand each other better, especially because in our case, most people were dealing in English was not their first language. So like maybe the misunderstanding is just as basic as that. So I was often mentoring people to do that. So I just decided I needed to adopt that myself, you know, for work, but also in my personal life. And it's when you walk out of the house without your phone, you feel like you, you know, left your arm uh, behind or something. But it has been helpful to me in terms of just being able to think about work and life and creativity and not have all the constant interruptions. And it's because of this sense of false urgency that I think we uh, we're constantly doing that. So it seems small, but it actually requires constant vigilance. <laughs> no, I agree with you. My husband was just saying the other day that I do have that sense of urgency. 
and we were talking about how it's just not healthy that if my mom calls me, I think I have to pick it up right then and there. Like I can't call her back in 10 minutes. And, you know, whenever somebody texts me, it's like, I need to respond to it right now. And when we just came back from vacation a few weeks ago, and in the past we would, we're at St. Bart's, we would walk the beach and I would have my cell phone on the beach with me because my daughter was younger. And there was always mm-hmm. that sense if something happens that, sure, I, you know, I, I want to have the phone, not that I have to carry it as we're walking the beach, but if it's at the beach, that way something happens. And my mom is older and all that. But this year, my daughter's 24. And this year I was like, you know, I'm not taking the cell phone. I'm, I'm going to put it in the car, park the car, lock the glove compartment, and I'm going to the beach. And my husband didn't take his cell phone either. And it was just, once you got into it, Nothing happened. Nothing bad happened. And if something bad happened, I don't know what we were going to do about it on a beach in St. Bart's anyway, right? right. I mean, it was like, what was I going to do about it in that moment? I so, agree. you know, it's that sense that we think we have to be present because we have to fix it. For me, at least, we have to fix things. I, I have to be present so I can fix it. But I can't fix it anyway. So, <laughs> so I'm with you. I'm done with not taking those gaps in our lives to breathe. And Ariana's sister, Agape, was on the show. Oh, she's great. I love her. Isn't she great? And she's sending me to her breathing expert because one of the things Agape said to me after the podcast was she was like, honey, you don't breathe. Okay, You need to breathe. That's hilarious. She's like, you need to go see this person and you need to learn how to breathe. And I thought, (laughs) I know it's kind of funny, but she's right. She's right. I'm I'm just like the energizer bunny. It's just like, stop, stop. That's so funny. Well, one of the things I loved about listening to the audio book for Thrive is that Agape is the reader. Ariana doesn't read it, but she she sounds so much like her sister. I'm like, okay, this is almost like having Ariana talk to me. I like this. I really, I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, Agape is great. And now we're going to go to takeaways. So I've crowdsourced questions from people that they, a question or two that they want to ask you, Liz. And one of them is, Some women say, pick one thing to focus on. Others say, pick 10 things to focus on, because that way, if something doesn't happen, you you know, one thing falls through, you still have nine things to do. Others say, just pick one so you can stay focused. You have a lot. You've all, you've had a lot going on in your life. You still do have a lot going on in your life. So the question is, what do you do? Do you pick one, 10 in between? One is too few and 10 is too many. I'll tell you what I always believed in is having at least one outside fun project that was just totally my own. Even when I had like a a corporate job, all that time we were starting and creating Satellite Sisters, that podcast and doing that. And I loved having, you know, outside of my life at National Geographic or Fox Sports, having this other thing that was totally my own. So I would actually just like we were talking about this on I Hate My Boss, because I think a lot of people feel like they're not getting enough satisfaction out of their job, their big J-O-B. And I feel like, you can you can expect some satisfaction and fulfillment from your like big paying job, big or small, whatever, your actual paid job. But you really can't expect that to give you all the joy you want in your life. That is just not fair to expect a job or a company to do that. So or a husband you, or wife or partner. Yes. No yes. one person or one thing. 
So if you're not getting enough creative exercise in your paid job, then create something on the outside. I know we're all super busy. It's not like, you know, we have loads of time to go off and do other things. But I think it is super healthy to have something that you have uh, total control over, that nobody's telling you when to do it or how to do it. So I've always tried to do that. But 10 things. I I, I like to think that I, I'm good enough with borders and commitments and boundaries to uh, to not overcommit. But that's uh, that's another mistake I think women make even more than men is when people ask us for a favor or ask to do this nonprofit work or can you be the, you know, lunch mom in your kid's classroom or whatever it is. We end up with this insane calendar of things that we have committed to because we we don't want to let our friends down or let our community down. And I think that's that's a source of total burnout. So I try to be super conscientious about balancing those things. Right. And one of the things I've learned is by saying no up front, I disappoint less people. So I may think like if somebody writes to me and says, you know, will you please share my story on Forbes or will you, you know, put me on the podcast? And at first it would be like, well, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And now it's just like, or I would say, okay, well, let's meet, whatever. Right. And it would be now it's like, I just don't have time. Yeah. So the answer is no. And you might be disappointed, but it's going to be less disappointing than us meeting and me never following through. And then, and for myself as well, because I don't want to be that person. And I saw myself becoming that person, not by choice, but that person who doesn't respond because I've just, I overcommitted. And so that's one of the things I'm trying to do over the next two months is not take on new things and really go through the things I have. And if I can't fulfill on something I said I would do to just say, you know what, when I said I could do it, that was a month or so ago. Things have changed. I can't do it. I, mm-hmm. you know, I wish I could, but I can't. Mm-hmm. So, because I, that's great. Okay, you're hard. my new, you're my new role model because yeah, the the flat out no in the beginning. If you know that that's what you're feeling, or that if you say yes, you're just going to resent every little minute of it. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I would meet with someone, and we would get through. You know, we're forty minutes into meeting, and we're ready to leave. And what do I say? Oh, I'll write a post about you. Yeah. It's like, who, where did those words, like, okay, who just possessed me? <laughs> said that. I, I know. Yes. I, I've had that same problem where you think, well, okay, what harm could it be to just have coffee? But I know myself in the coffee when they say, well, I need this and I need this and I need this. You just naturally say, oh, well, I can help with number two. Yeah. I know so-and-so over here. You just insert yourself into it, even though you're telling yourself, don't do it. Stop. Yeah, and, then, and then you've got this to-do list. And so our intention, my intention is good. I want to help. But then I can't. So what really helped me focus and, and start doing that more is when I, I sit on the board of two nonprofits that are female-led. She's the first in the empowerment plan. And people would ask me to be on the advisory board or sit on their boards of, of nonprofits. And I would want to because they're, what they're doing is really great. But I would look at it and say, if I do that, then I do a disservice to the two boards I'm sitting on because they're hands-on boards. They're working boards, right? We're, we're, they're growing nonprofits. And I don't want to do that to them. So by taking it out of me and saying, I can't do that to them, made it, does that make sense? It made it easier yes. for me. But, yes. but you should be able to say, I can't do that to me. As yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. Right. But, it, but that was my beginning of it. So if I could say, well, I can't do that to them, then it was like, well, that gave me permission to say I can't do it. But we should be able to say, I just can't do it. I wish I could. There aren't that many hours in the day. 
And when you do say it, people do understand because believe me, they know the feeling. Everybody knows that feeling. Right. So I think that there are people are sort of jealous <laughs> if you can actually enforce your own uh, limitations. People get why that's important. Right. And Liz, I could go on with you forever. And when you come to New York, we have to get together. We have to get together with Libby Moore since we both are friends with Libby Moore. For that our would listeners be a who pleasure. Libby, you, <laughs> that would be such a pleasure. It's a small be. world. It's like, <laughs> so it would be wonderful. So before we leave, tell us where we can find you. All right. I am on Twitter. I'm at SS Liz, which stands for Satellite Sister Liz. So at SS Liz, the same at Instagram. Uh, all of the rest of my stuff is at SatelliteSisters.com. And you can find me if you ever want to tweet to me at I Hate My Boss Show. That's the workplace advice show. I get all of those tweets too. So those are all the best places to find me. Liz, thank you. And I want to leave everybody with your hashtag, which is hashtag stay noisy. Yes, let's all stay noisy. <laughs> thank you so much, Liz. Sending thank you. Loving kisses across the states. Thank you. This was a pleasure to meet. Huge thanks to everyone today. And to make sure you're getting Mentoring Moments the moment it's live every Wednesday, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, make sure to rate, review, and share. I'd love to know, are you wearing red shoes and pink dresses? Are you creating a life you want to be a part of? And has the time come for you to say, these are my boundaries, to raise your hand and say, I will not stand for that. Will you stay noisy? And can you walk out of the house without your phone, realizing that the majority of texts and emails, well, they can wait for an hour or a day. So check out my show notes on Forbes.com. You can always find me on Twitter at Denise Ristari. Until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. Hey, I'm Emmanuel Acho, host of Beyond the Film Room, where we take the muzzle off the mouse of premier athletes. Every Thursday, join me and your favorite sports figures as we tackle the uncharted topic of sport and discuss the far-reaching impact outside of the stadium itself. Download episodes every Thursday at podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe at iTunes. Five-Hour Tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go, to the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-Hour Tea, caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight from the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, 
uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.